listening to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry, along with my guest for this episode. She is the founder and president of Global Hope 365. She's none other than Rima Nashashibi, and we will be discussing human trafficking. So good evening, Rima. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for agreeing to be on the, a guest on the 247 Real Talk podcast. How are you this evening? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, I'm looking forward to meeting your audience. Yes, I'm sure they're looking forward to meeting you too. So uh, we're going to jump right into this. And I'm basically going to ask you to introduce yourself by telling us a little bit about yourself and about the organization Global Hope 365. Sure. Um, thank you for this opportunity, Julian, again. And um, I, I used to be in the corporate world uh, for a long time, um, spent 20 years with AIG managing divisions for them. And then in 2016, um, I came across various things that led me to start Global Hope 365. And some of them were personal experiences. Uh, as far as meeting people where I've decided, you know, we need to do something about this. Or I read an article such as the article written by Nicholas Kristof for the New York Times in talking about uh, a young girl, 11, married and pregnant and forced to marry her rapist. And that was my first introduction to the fact that child marriage was legal in the U.S., so all this time, I thought the impression that child marriage wasn't legal, and then to find out that it is legal. And um, back then, it was legal in 48 states, and now it's different. And so I've decided that I need to start an organization because uh, I need to end harmful practices against women and girls, uh, such as child marriage and human trafficking. So I started Global Hope 365, and it is dedicated to improving the lives of women and girls locally and nationally by advocating for their safety. And we do that through raising awareness, education, and empowerment. And so we address in the inequitable practices based on gender, and our focus is on ending, as I mentioned, harmful practices against women and girls, such as child marriage and human trafficking. And as, uh, as you know, and some of your audience know, um, according to the International Labor Organization, ILO, uh, modern-day slavery, these days we have close to 40 million people, and that includes 25 million in forced labor and 15 million in forced marriage. And unfortunately, one in every four victims of modern slavery are children. And so... Um, According to UNICEF, uh, child marriage before the age of 18 is a fundamental violation of human rights, and the United States has denounced child marriage as human rights abuse in other countries that contributes to economic hardship. And that's in the words of a State Department document published in 2016. And I say, Julian, you know, what about our kids? What about them. So we need to take care of our own kids before we start taking care or policing the world as far as child marriage is concerned. So it remains a, a serious problem in, in the U.S. Since 2000, there has been well over 200,000 minors that were married. Most of them are girls marrying, uh, married to adults, men. And as you know, children lack the rights and resources of adults. And they're more vulnerable to coercion and predation. So as a result, many child marriages are forced marriages and, and are also and or cover-ups for other abuses and exploitation and, in some cases, statutory rights, such as the case of Sherry Johnson and other of the child marriage survivors that we at Global Hope 365 
have given them uh, the chance to tell their story uh, through uh, summits that we held in July and August. And so marriage before the age of 18 has a devastating lifelong consequences, including greater vulnerability to sexual and domestic violence, increased medical and mental health problems. And they also have higher dropout rates from high school and college and greater risk of poverty, up to 80% and up to 80% divorce rate. And so uh, when you hear that child marriage survivors, you can still feel the trauma. Some of them are are now in their 40s, 30s, and 50s. Uh, The other day I met with a survivor who was 80 years old, and you can still feel the raw emotions in her voice when she talks about her marriage as a child bride. And she wanted to volunteer with Global Hope 365 because she wanted to talk to children that are being forced, help them, so they don't go through the trauma that she went through. And so uh, right now in the U.S., uh, child marriage is legal in 46 states. And, um, and two, as I mentioned, 200,000 were married since 2000, as young as 12 years old. And so in 10 states, there is no minimum age, including California. And so I think that's a travesty. Uh, Five states set an age floor below the age of 16. Alaska at 14, Hawaii at 15, Kansas at 15, and Maryland at 15, and North Carolina at 14. Wow. And there are 22. Yes, yes. And that was quite a shocker to me, Julian. And and so uh, there's also 22 states that do not keep statistics. California was one of them until Senate Bill 273 that was introduced in 2017 and passed and became effective in 1-1-2019. Uh, unfortunately, it started as a ban on child marriage under 18, no exceptions, uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, what they added is that we now need to uh, keep statistics on child marriages, but that's still a challenge. And so what happens um, when a child, like in the case of uh, Sherry Johnson that Nicholas Christoph wrote about, she was uh, raped repeatedly by a deacon in the church and a parishioner. She got pregnant at 11. Child welfare was going to conduct an investigation. And so the parents and the church got together and they married her off to the 20-year-old rapist. Uh, By the time she was 18 and found a friendly attorney to uh, get her a divorce from this this abusive relationship, she had seven kids. And so that's what a child marriage, uh, yeah, does to you. So it it leads to social isolation because of the early pregnancy and then interrupts the schooling, limiting a girl's opportunity for career and vocational advancement. It also places the girl at a risk, higher risk of domestic violence because of the age differential and maternal and infant death. And as I mentioned, 80% of these child marriages end up in divorce. Wow. And so uh, I know. Yes, that's, that's, uh, those are some amazing statistics, especially within the United States. One would automatically think without even giving it a second thought, you know, we would never consider that's what's going on right under our noses. Yes. And I, I didn't know until 2016. And I'm like, what? This can't be happening here. And so that's, again, that's why I started. Global Hope 365, and we're trying, um, you know, those four states that I mentioned that ban child marriage under 18 with no exceptions are uh, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. And so we're hoping California is next. And we're hoping that the legislator will pass such a bill when it's introduced But what we've started doing, I used to do 10 to 12 uh, speaking engagements a month in person. Now I do them virtually. So we're all about raising awareness, education, prevention, in order to save lives. Basically, 
Global Hope 365 is about preventing future victims from happening, either child marriage or human trafficking. Because as I mentioned, the trauma will last with you till for the rest of your life. And uh, what, we've, what we've done is that every time I, I used to go speak, I used to pass these advocacy cards that people will sign and send to their elected officials saying, we need to end child marriage and prevent human trafficking in California. And, and we mailed over 6,500 cards. But now we moved that digitally. So we launched the California Coalition to End Child Marriage on September 14 when we held our first uh, summit. And that was um, at the UCI School of Law. And we co-hosted it with the UCI Initiative to End Family Violence. And so in addition, we also... Uh, came up with resolutions that basically say no child marriage under 18, no exceptions. And we've asked city council members to pass them. And uh, Julian, I want to share with you that we've already had them pass in two major cities in California, in Irvine on August 11, and the city of Anaheim, the happiest place on earth where Disneyland is, uh, was on August 25th, and those two resolutions passed unanimously. That's fantastic. And that is fantastic. Yes, That's great work. That we is, are so encouraged by that. Yes, that's amazing because, work. Yes, thank you, thank you. And so it's, it's, it's a team effort because it takes, um, you know, the team of Global Hope 365, the constituents, uh, the council members, the city council members. Uh, we also meet with elected officials and we educate them about the topic. So, so the education um, is done continuously uh, to to everyone, and and so that's what we're doing as far as human tra- uh, as far as child marriage. Sorry, and then with human trafficking, as I mentioned, we had 25 million victims globally. And it's a $150 billion um, industry, crime industry. And it's the fastest, it's the third largest and fastest growing. And so we need to prevent human trafficking. As you know, uh, again, the trauma from human trafficking is very devastating, uh, but more so if the victims are children. And we keep hearing in the news about all these cases that made the headlines, but this is just the tip of the iceberg about children being victims and and women being victims of human trafficking. And so there is a national hotline that uh, anyone can use if, if they're either a victim or they know someone who is. And it's very easy to remember. It's 888 so that's very easy, 888-3737-888. And they can also text BE FREE to 233-733. So very easy numbers to remember. Yeah, we'll make sure that uh, I have that information on the on the podcast in the notes too so that anyone uh, reading this or listening or needing help will, will find the easy access to, to get the help they need or to report an issue. Absolutely. And, you know, human trafficking, uh, as you know, is uh, involves fraud, force, and coercion, and somebody exploiting another uh, for commercial gain. And so that's what human trafficking is. And it involves both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And some of the myths or um, whenever I went, uh, when I do my speaking engagements, people think either that child marriage is not legal in the U.S., and I ask them that when I start, and then what they think human trafficking is, is all these foreign women that are brought into the U.S., which is a big myth. Ninety percent of the women in sex trafficking in the U.S. are U.S. citizens. And they're usually trafficked in the area that they live in. And everybody, I I don't know, most people saw the movie Taken and they think it's just like the movie Taken where 
people or women or children are kidnapped. No, they're coerced. They are groomed. And unfortunately, with the Internet, um, traffickers have been using the Internet, chat rooms, game rooms, uh, and other, you know, uh, social media applications in order to lure uh, victims into human trafficking. So before and, before we, I'm going to have you pause for a second there because I I want to make sure I get this in an in a um, an order that my audience can really absorb what you're saying. And I think that based on the audience, there are going to be a lot of people out there that are thinking about what you said. Now you've you've made provocative statements to provoke the mind to think. Um, about the seriousness of this situation. And what comes to mind is that, especially right now in a pandemic where, as you mentioned, um, people are online more than ever before. I want to start off by uh, backtracking a little bit and, uh, and to ask you, what are the warning signs of human trafficking victims that parents can notice, teachers and, and people around us in general? What are those signs that just send the antennas up to say, hey, something is wrong here. Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. So the warning, some of the warning signs are missing schools, uh, missing school frequency, frequently, or signs of drug use, or new and expensive items purchased, because what traffickers do is that they groom them and they lure them into this life of endless parties and designer items. And so if, if you see them um, carrying expensive designer items where they haven't, uh, you haven't seen that in the past, that's, that's one of the red flags. New or multiple cell phones, changes in behavior. So that's why you need to be in tune with, what's going on in that classroom or within your own family. This interest in activities that they previously cared about. And they avoid, they avoid making eye contact, homelessness, habitual runaways, physical injuries, or malnourishment. Uh, I spoke in one of my speaking engagements. Um, one of the speakers was a victim of human trafficking. She was trafficked by her own uncle. So she moved with her mom from Hawaii to stay with the uncle here. And the uncle uh, molested her, and then he trafficked her. And she said while all the kids after school were going home to have dinner and do their homework, she had to hit the street to get a quota. Uh, in order to bring back home to that uncle every day. And she said nobody noticed anything until high school when one of the counselors said, what are those bruises on your arms? And uh, when someone asked her, why didn't you tell your mom? She said, all what I heard is mom was saying, uh, the uncle is our protector. He's the only thing that's between us and living on the street. We're so lucky to have him, and so on and so forth. So she never mentioned anything to the mom. So we need the parents to be able to have that relationship with their kids where the kids feel safe to tell them anything. Um, I listened to the district attorney in San Diego, who's a pioneer in ending uh, human trafficking, she rolled out a human trafficking prevention program in all the public schools in San Diego because the traffickers are now into our middle schools. They send juvenile recruiters to bring uh, more kids into human trafficking. And so she rolled out that program there because we need uh, the students, the kids themselves, to be aware of the red flag so when they see it, they don't fall for it. So they need to be very careful in the chat rooms. I interviewed, uh, we have coffee meetups every month, Global Health 365. One of the ladies that I interviewed, uh, she's a well-known author. She's an author. She's a wellness coach. 
and she's a counselor, and she shared with us that she was a victim of human trafficking. And she was uh, trafficked when she was 13 by an intimate partner. So we need to be very careful. Just like I said, it's not like the movie Taken. Sometimes people are trafficked by the closest person that they have in their life. It could be a parent. It could be an intimate partner. It could be a friend. Another example was when I was having dinner with some friends and You know, they ask you, what do you do? And I start talking about global hope passionately and what we're trying to do. And they said, you know, one of my friends, their daughter became a victim of human trafficking simply by her friend in school said, my dad and I will take you home. So to cut a long story short, that wasn't her dad. And unfortunately, uh, the, the kid disappeared for six months. The The parents were very wealthy. They were able to hire a private detective in order to uh, find their daughter. And But she was found after six months after she was raped and she was put into sex trafficking. Wow. So what happens, yes, when you become a victim, sometimes you have 10, 12, 14, 20 men going through you a day. And they use drugs and they use threats and alcohol in order to get them addicted so they can control them better, or if they can't, they threaten them to harm their brothers, their sisters, their family. Another case, I was another example. I was the keynote speaker at an international uh, association of insurance professionals, and after my speech, one of the attendees came to me and she said, her niece was trafficked. Uh, the parents lived here in California. The niece was studying in college in Georgia. And they basically came to her with the classic example, you're so beautiful, we're going to make you a model. And so she goes for the interview, she gets raped, and she gets put into human trafficking, unfortunately. And when she wanted to get out of it, uh, they said, you know, those movies, those videos we took of you, we're going to send them to your family. So there's shame involved. And so they control them by shaming them because they don't want the family to see that. And that's why again and again and say, you need to have the relationship with those kids that the kids, your kids can tell you anything. And without fearing um, any finger pointing or make them Uh, shameful or ashamed of what they did, that they feel safe in telling you whatever you're, what's going through with them. And this author that I mentioned to you previously, um, oh, let me finish that example. I'm sorry. Um, So when she still insisted to leave human trafficking, they threatened to kill all her family. So she left, she she left her um, dorm room, her, uh, in Georgia, hopped on a plane and came back to California. On the way, she called the parents and said, I'm coming back home. Don't ask me questions. I'll talk to you then, but please be very, very careful. Now she's doing speaking engagements with uh, law enforcement, and they're doing training to um, members of the judiciary because I met uh, one of the judges here in Orange County, California, and he was telling me he was going through a training, and then he shared who was doing the training, and it was her. And so human traffickers do not discriminate. Uh, they have, you can, some of the videos that I show, they will tell you that uh, some of the human trafficking task forces that are established in various counties and states, that they do not discriminate. They have uh, victims from poor families, and they have victims whose mothers are physicians and whose parents are either physicians, doctors, lawyers. And so they don't discriminate because, you know, with drugs, people ingest drugs and then they're gone once they're gone. But when you have a victim of human trafficking, uh, you can keep reusing them. As I mentioned, every day you can have 20 men going through you on a daily basis, if not more. And again, in one of the videos, you can we can share that um, 
that traffickers make a lot of money and some as close as to 30000 a month as in cash. So what we're trying to do at Global Hope is because, as you know, it's economics. It's demand and supply. We have to punish the demand. We have to reduce the demand in order for the supply to be reduced. So we have to punish demand. I was shocked that um, for someone to be caught uh, of buying sex with a victim of human trafficking is only a misdemeanor, at least in California. I cannot speak for other states. And so that is unacceptable. It needs to be a felony and they need to be registered as a sex offender. So we need to punish demand. There's some states that are trying to do that. And and that's what we need to concentrate on. But let's go back to the warning signs. Sorry, Julian, I go into tangents because one sentence leads to another. So we ended up with the physical injuries and malnourishment. Or if there's a presence of an older or controlling partner or knowledge of the trafficking industry and slang or graphic or inappropriate online profile. Now, that victim of human trafficking, the author, the wellness coach, she said, I wish my parents were monitoring my internet use. I wish they were. That's my. That's sort of leading into my next question. I, got, I have to say before I get into that, that my audience usually hears me um, interacting often with my guests. And this is probably the first time all I can say is wow, because I'm sure when they listen to this story, even they will be as I am. And that is just dumbfounded by the statistics. And I'm still grappling with the fact that this is going on. You know, we go about our lives every day. We see people on the streets. We see people, you know, uh, moving around, maybe the same person. And in our minds, we see them from a distance and we make assumptions. One of the assumptions I know personally, I've never even thought about is human trafficking. And now that, you know, we go back to now that we are in this pandemic time, especially now where every kid, I mean, governments are giving kids laptops and iPads and everything for schooling. But obviously that provides access to the internet and now that gives a new avenue for predators to 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 reach these kids and reach the vulnerable so what are the effects that you found or so far that you've seen of social media and the internet on the increase of human trafficking well um there was an article in in the la times and others where um even the district attorney in San Diego had mentioned that comparing this April during COVID-19 and last April, nationally, there has an uptick in calls to the national trafficking hotline by 40%. In San Diego, it was up by, uh, there's an uptick of 30%. So in the U.S., as you know, 95% of the schools are now connected to the internet. So not only in schools, but you know, you have those at home. And with COVID-19, you have over 45 million children, usually ages 10 to 17, that use the internet. So among those, one in every five has been sexually solicited. One in every four kids has encountered unwanted pornography. And close to 60% of those teens have received an email or instant message from a stranger and half have communicated back with strangers they don't know. Yeah, I've seen that. I've heard and, of that in many instances where I think it is simply, there, there are many, many reasons for that, which I'm sure you're going to uh, elaborate on. But I, you know, from my perspective, seeing what I've seen firsthand, I think that a lot of the the predators are are, are looking on sometimes, um, even physically before they go online. You know, they may have encountered the person, and you know, depending on the age group or whatever, they know exactly how to present themselves in such a way that it is so attractive. And it's it, you know, sometimes it's a simple thing of a young you know, girl becoming a teenager and, and and sort of going through that phase, and this older gentleman you know, seems to pay so much attention. He seems to be the, you know, the dream, the dream person. And, and that's all it takes. 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, as you know, most of the children know about the Internet more than adults do. So, as a result, many parents do not supervise their children's Internet use. But let me give you some sur- surprising statistics. Uh, you have an estimated 20% of parents do not supervise their children's Internet at all. 52% of them moderately, moderately supervise their children's Internet use. And, and 71% of those parents stop supervising the Internet use of their kids after the age of 14. However, however, 72% of all internet-related missing children cases involve children that are 15 years age or older. I'm going slow because I need to, under, to for the parents to understand that you need to monitor your children's internet use even after the age of 14, because 72% of all internet-related missing children cases involve children who are over the age of 15. And close to 62% of teens say their parents know little or nothing about the websites they, they visit. So let's go to the warning signs for the children. And I or young adults, and I hope they are listening. So please be very careful when you meet people online. Uh, predators are on Facebook, they're on TikTok, they're on social media everywhere, they're online chat and gaming rooms. They, uh, the relationship, when somebody tells you this relationship must be kept a secret, that should be a red flag, a big red flag. People hanging around schools who don't attend when we go back in person. But I was speaking to uh, one of the uh, Union High School District Board of Trustees Ambassadors Program, and they had teachers and students. And I, I said, you know, you need to be careful of people hanging around school who don't attend there. And one of the teachers said, Actually, they just charged someone, uh, law enforcement charged someone who came on the premises, on their schools, and he was basically a predator. And then people, you need to be careful of people buying you expensive gifts because this is a precursor. This is part of the grooming stage. And then there will be the ask if they're, then they become an intimate partner. Then they'll say, you know what? I cannot come up with the money for the rent. Can you help me? Can you sleep with this one? Can you sleep with that one? So, so there's always the precursor to, and sometimes uh, another example was a young girl. And this was, this story was told to me by a deputy district, uh, by a deputy attorney general who helped in a previous work, has helped victims of human trafficking. It was a 14-year-old who saw that her friend had an iPhone and an iWatch. And she said, how can I get those? Where did you get those? And she said, oh, I'm working. Working as what? As a runner. How can I work as a runner? Oh, you, you need to go for, I'm giving you the short version. So she ended up going for the interview and she was raped at the interview and then she was put into sex trafficking. So people, young kids and parents need to be very careful. And also when someone limits your choices of activities, friends, clothing, etc., that's another red flag. And they, you always have to trust your inner voice. And if the promises made to you sound too good to be true, they are too, be good, too good to be true. But, I, but if I'll, you see, I'll pause you there for a second because something came to mind. Um, and I know you're on the flow and not to interrupt it at all because this is all amazing information. I think it will be amazingly helpful to the audience, especially to parents listening and even older brothers and sisters. But what came to mind was as we talk about luring someone, I think about certain uh, what about certain neighborhoods or certain uh, socioeconomic uh, deprived neighborhoods 
where the predator offers more than the parent can who's working two or three jobs. So that parent is, is occupied not with, 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 with frivolous things, but actually providing for the family, maybe a single parent. Right. And so, you know, we, I, I remember growing up when I was a lot younger and thinking, there's all, every child, I think, at some point sees a friend, an acquaintance, someone they just don't know that they pass every day on the street that's close to their age, that has all the things that we dream of as kids. You know, we, we're going to grow up, or we're going to go to school, and we're going to get this, you know, multi-million dollar paying job, and we're going to buy this fancy car right away, and we're going to buy this mansion, you know, and then... We, you know, at some point, you know, sometimes in the teenage years, especially for some kids, the reality of life begins to, to rear its ugly head, you know, from their perspective. And there's always the peer pressure thing of, you know, the other kids have the nice sneakers and nice jeans and the, all these things. And then here comes the predator who can offer all these things. And, you know, sometimes a child may turn it down at first. But, you know, things like peer pressure, things like bullying, things like uh, teasing can cause someone to make uh, you know, the, the most critical mistake of their lives. Absolutely. And that's why it is critical for the parents to develop a great relationship with the kids. So even that you're, let's say they're working two and three jobs, that their children feel comfortable in telling them, this is what's happening. Or at least have your kids talk to them about these things. Talk to them about the red flags. Talk to them about the dangers from whether you're any socioeconomical factor. Talk to them about that. Educate them on the topic. Uh, have them designate three safe people that they can talk to. And you know that they're safe. They feel safe telling them this is what's going on. I mean, we had a law enforcement parent here, and their daughter gets unsolicited pornography at her phone from a predator. And they called, uh, you know, the sheriff right away so they can start an investigation. So they get the phone numbers of those kids, and they send them these messages, and, and the kids respond. And so we need to develop this close relationship. And sometimes, and unfortunately, uh, children see how hard the parents are working and they feel they need to um, basically pull in their weight, but, and they get lured into these things. And as you said, then reality hits and reality sinks. And they cannot get out of it, and they get hooked on drugs and alcohol because that's the way, and threats, that's the way that traffickers control them. In, in our town hall meeting at UCI School of Law, uh, one of our speakers was um, the chief of police from San Diego. And he said, uh, it's somewhat difficult for to catch these um, traffickers because they keep moving for two reasons. One is to avoid capture, and two is to disorient their victims. And that's the, the tragedy of human trafficking is that they call it, they're hidden, the victims are hidden in plain sight. Uh, we do not have statistics in the U.S. for the very simple fact is we don't know how many victims are there. The only ones we know about are the ones that either call the National Trafficking Hotline or they're arrested and then law enforcement find, and thankfully so, that they are victims of human trafficking. So there has been a shift in the training of law enforcement going from, oh, they're a criminal, they're into prostitution, into no, these are victims of human trafficking, and this is a trafficker. And so, thankfully, there has been this shift, not in every law enforcement, but in most. And so now they're being helped as victims. And so these are 
the statistics the statistics come from either uh, being arrested and then found to be a victim or calling uh, the national trafficking hotline or some th- someone saying hmm, this doesn't look right i need to call and if you see someone being trafficked do not get involved it's a dangerous situation call call law enforcement and ask for help or call 911 so i'm going to ask uh, you go ahead go ahead uh, I just wanted to say that, unfortunately, California is ranked number one in the country for calls to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, but that for a couple of reasons. One, we're a very large state. The other one is there has been a lot of raising awareness going on and also, uh, you know, legislation that has been passed that mandates that all hotels, motels, and, and, and other places like that have to have a poster there with a national trafficking hotline and saying, if you're a victim of human trafficking, you need to call this number. So so there has been a lot of raising awareness. There's groups who go around and, and give, um, they give like uh, these small bottles and shampoos to the people that they find on the streets. And in those hidden is like a number that they can call, which is a national trafficking hotline. And so there's, there's a lot of things, there's really a lot of things that we need to do, but I think uh, it's up to us, the um, all constituents, parents, uh, is we need to advocate for uh, punishing the demand, uh, contacting our elected officials and say, we need to end this. I mean, uh, look at the Jeffrey Epstein case. Uh, but again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And so uh, we need to hold both the elected officials uh, accountable because we elect them. And so we need to make sure that legislation is passed that is protecting our kids. And also there's the Earn It Act that the Judiciary Committee in the Senate just um, voted on it unanimously, and that is I can send you the information about it because I know we don't have much time and I'm sure you have questions, but I'll send you the information so you can indicate that. But it will hold those um, uh, basically social media and other companies accountable if uh, basically at this time people cannot sue them, victims cannot sue them. Uh, and so th- that's why it's called the Earn It Act, if they become victims of human trafficking through these applications. And so what we're saying is, no, you cannot get a free pass. You have to earn it. So we have to make sure that you're doing the right things in order to stop those uh, children from being victimized by your applications. And so we need um, everyone to call their senators and make sure that they uh, sign off or co-sponsor the Earn It Act in the Senate, and there will be a concurrent bill in the House. And once I get information on the House bill and the representative that's leading it, I believe uh, she's from Texas, then uh, I will send you that information so uh, everyone can call their uh, member of Congress and say you need to co-sponsor this bill. Great, because great. we cannot give free passes anymore, neither to the buyers, nor the traffickers, nor the owners of those applications uh, that our children get victimized through. Great. That, that, is, yeah, that is really great for people to get a call to action to be proactive. But in the interim, yes. while that's going through the legal process, which sometimes can be more long-winded and more um, <laughs> more political than it is about substance. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, coming back to my previous question and sort of leading off from it. So right in here, right now, while this is so rampant right under our noses, you know, we still come back to, you know, the million-dollar question because many companies have, have attempted to answer the question about how we keep our children safe on the Internet and, 
you know, the social media and all the, all, you know, especially when they're locked indoors because of quarantining and all that. And you can't, you can't really, it, it's such a difficult, COVID has added such a difficult dynamic because before you could sort of say to the child, you know, you come home, you, you, you have your books or whatever, and I'm going to limit you to X amount of time on, on, on your, your electronic devices. But now it's mandatory for them to be on the electronic device as long as possible if they simply say, I have a lot of homework I have to finish. And the schools do give a lot of homework. And unless you're sitting there for hours simply looking at their screen, um, and I know there are apps out there and things like that, that I remember one parent asked me um, many years ago to put an app on her daughter's laptop to monitor what she was doing. And I did. And, you know, she, she caught her daughter a couple of times in not, not, you know, luck, luckily not dangerous, but questionable conversations or whatever. But then she said to me, you know, um, it really worked because, you know, for the last year or whatever, her daughter, you know, she didn't find anything. And then, the laptop happened to come back to me for something later on. I realized uh, as I'm going through it that her daughter had figured out how to defeat the program. Hmm. Well, there's different applications. So the parents have to have that conversation with their kids. Uh, You have to set up parental controls. You need to explain to them that these are the dangers out there and you're trying to protect them. Once you explain it to them, most kids will understand. So you need to limit the screen time. You need to monitor the child's internet use. There's various uh, applications that parents can use. And some of them are, uh, there's one called Circle. There's one called uh, Custodio, Q-U and then Studio. And then Covenant Eyes or Net Nanny or Bark. And so there are these applications that that you can use, and then there are five things that um, you can do in order to ensure that uh, your children are safe online during quarantine, which is one, holding a family meeting on why exactly you're concerned. So every family is different. The dangers of the internet are varied. So are you concerned about pornography use or exposure, potential groomings from online predators, sexting, uh, and, you know, there's sexting and there's also sextortion. Uh, Chances are your child may not be aware of all these things, uh, which you want to protect them from. Using age-appropriate language, explain the danger you see and why you want to protect them. And kids are more likely to help protect themselves if they understand what they need to be concerned about. Second, you need to talk to each child about their personal internet uh, usage. So you've held the family meeting, but you're completely, but are you completely aware of how each individual child spends their time on their device? What apps take most of their time each day? Does their video game system have online features, live chat, direct messages? You need to be aware of these things. You need to set up parental controls and follow up. So now that you know the child loves TikTok, for example, or that your teen spends hours talking with their friends on Discord while playing their favorite video game, you can set boundaries to abruptly moderate their usage and take necessary steps for improved safety. And you can also limit the time that is spent online. And again, uh, tell Congress to take action on the Earned Act, so that which is basically stands for the eliminating abusive and rampant neglect of interactive technologies, and that's why it's called the Earned Act. It's bill, as I mentioned, that was introduced in the Senate, which would create incentives for companies to earn liability protection for violations of laws related to online child sexual abuse material. I'm going to pause you there. Hang on, I'm going to pause you here one second because when you were given the definition of the Earnest Act, for some reason your your communication was breaking up and I want to make sure my audience hears what it stands for. So can you go over that again? Okay, so the Earnest Act stands for the Eliminating 
abusive and rampant neglect of interactive technologies, earn it. It is so it's the Earn It Act, and it's a bill that was introduced in the Senate, as I mentioned, which would create incentives for companies to earn, quote unquote, liability protection for violations of laws related to online child sexual abuse material, rather than just granting them liability protection at the outset. So this bill would make it so that big tech could be held accountable for the sexual exploitation of children that takes place on their platforms if they are not fighting it proactively. So they have to earn that liability protection, not just give it to them, grant it to them. Right, that makes sense. So that was number two. You had that was five. number five. Oh, that was number five. No, that okay. was number five. Okay. So number one, that's okay. Let's summarize. Number one is holding the family meeting right. on, on why exactly why you're concerned. Number two, talk to each child about their personal internet use. Find out which applications. Three, you set up the parental controls and follow up. And four is the limit time spent online. As we mentioned, and, and basically, you know, you, you need to monitor their use until they're 18. <laughs> And then five, tell Congress to take action on the uh, Earn It Act. So these are the five. Fantastic. That's five rules that I'm hoping that not only my immediate audience, but I'm hoping that this is a podcast that they share as many times as possible because, you know, we ha I, I, as I mentioned to you before, all the topics that I cover in 247 Real Talk are real-life important and critical experiences that we deal with daily and that we need to deal with. But in a time of COVID when, like I said, every single child out there is, is spending a tremendous amount of time on social media that they can claim to be legitimate. You know, those five um, pointers that you gave, those five rules that you provide parents with are, I think, um, are amazingly valuable right now. And, and uh, the, the last question I want to ask you, because I think I want to wrap this up with something that stays in their minds. And then since we, and I mentioned that, you know, I, a lot of this I didn't realize was going on right here in the United States. Tell my audience what percentage of U.S. female victims and children experience sex trafficking? Okay. So, 90% of the female victims of sex trafficking are U.S. citizens. In California, we have three counties that are one of the top 12 counties in the nation as far as trafficking in children. And that is San Diego, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. But 90%, 90% are U.S. citizens. So we need to be very vigilant. We need to think of those uh, red flags. We need to raise awareness. We need to educate. Uh, we need to empower in order to prevent future victims from happening. Yeah, and I, and I something crossed my mind. Something crossed my mind as you said that that I didn't even think about before, and maybe some of my audience will think about. Maybe they won't. But we've talked a lot about this human trafficking, and it's been predominantly about young children, young female victims. What about male victims? Yeah, uh, of course. Male victims are victims of human trafficking. And it's both male and female. And what but percentage is male? It's female. What percentage would you say uh, is male? Uh, that's a good question. I'll have to come back to you at that. But what I know is that predominantly it's female. 
Okay, because but I can get back to you on that if you don't mind. Yeah, it's fine because I think of a lot of you know a lot of the stories we hear too of abductions, um, and, and and yes, they're predominantly female, but we also hear about young boys disappearing, and we're not sure what their fate is, especially if it's not a domestic situation. And I'd be, I'd be curious to find out if, you know, there's a whole other you know, major, you know, um, business opportunity for these predators with young boys too, you know, in addition to the, the predominantly, um, obviously, uh, be, uh, predominantly being girls. Yes. Uh, I concentrate on girls uh, because, our mission is to end harmful practices against women and girls. But there are uh, boys and men that are victims of human trafficking too. Okay, that is that is good to know, and that is that is um, good uh, information for, or a good challenge for us to um, continue the conversation to make sure that, in addition to supporting the work of Global Hope three sixty five, that we also make sure that. We look at other victims, and and while it may be a small, much smaller amount, you know, you need to end this completely. So, um, yeah. I have to say yes. that in 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 you know in wrapping this up, I have to say first of all that what you do is amazing. The fact that you decided to take it on, on your own and and build this organization and 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 spearhead this call to action is exactly the reason why I have someone like yourself on this show, because it is time for us to look at these kind of situations in every aspect of our lives and, and stand up and, and, and empower ourselves and be part of the call to action to change the world we live in and to change you know, these situations. And, and especially the case with human trafficking, where we're affecting you know, children and, and, and young ladies and, and, and robbing people of their lives before they even you know begin to experience life, so I commend Absolutely. you. I commend you so much for what you do. Um, I would hope that as I pass on this information, and for all my listeners out there, um, the, the information, uh, Rima's bio, and the links to everything, plus any additional information she passes on, will be in the body of the episode that you can see on any of the podcast apps or on the website. And this is a serious conversation. This is a serious issue. Uh, usually my topics are, but this is mind boggling. And it's the first time I've done a podcast where my, 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 my uh, contribution has been predominantly wow. That's all I could say. <laughs> so I, go ahead. Yeah, you're welcome. And I thank you for this opportunity. And I also have somewhat of an answer to your question about the gender. Okay. So people can go to polarisproject.org. And their 2019 report indicates that of the calls that they've received, over 15,000 were female and 3,000 were male. Okay. So it's, while well, it's a smaller amount, it's still, it's still, you know, a significant amount. Yes. That, yes. Absolutely. And as I mentioned, um, I concentrate and I talk about women and girls because that's our mission. And that's our goal is to end harmful practices against women and girls. And again, I want to thank you so much, Julian, for giving me the opportunity to talk about my passion and the work that we do at Global Hope 365. And we're welcome everybody's participation or they can go if they would like to end child marriage, they can go to our website, which is CACoalition to end child marriage.org. And under advocacy, you can send a letter to your elected officials asking them to end child marriage, because as we mentioned, there's only four states that do that have banned child marriage under 18 with no exceptions. And the exceptions are parental consent and uh, judicial approval, depending on the state. So again, thank you so much. And I hope this was informative. And I hope that your audience have, we whet their appetite that they want to educate, get themselves educated more about this topic in order, again, educate, prevent, in order to save lives. 
Uh, yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest. I think that um, every parent, and like I said, every guardian in any way that listens to this will, I hope, not that I wish my audience any negatives, but I hope they maybe lose a night or two of sleep you know, while they ponder the people in their care and, and take the time to, to sort of uh, investigate what they're doing, when they're doing it, you know, it's easy to, and, and I think every parent is guilty of this sometimes, you know, if you finish working for the day and you're exhausted with dealing with the kids all day, especially in COVID. And, you know, sometimes when they get on their tablets or the computers, they're very quiet and that's your moment to plop down in the sofa and say, ah, you know, and so it's easy to, to use that as a tool to, to get some uh, mental rest as a, as a guardian or parent, but you know, when we when we take on the responsibility as guardian and parent, mental rest is not uh, on the resume. So, um, everything that you have you have taught us tonight, everything that you've taught me, every um, bit of statistics and the information that you've passed on, and the the ways to help and the things we need to pay attention to, I think is critical information. Again, especially on a topic where. And I, and I said, until I spoke with you the first time before we came on the air, I, I knew none of this. And I, will, I, I am well-read and, I, and I, I, get, you know, I, I, look at, I read a lot and I look at a lot of information. And I guess I never even delved into this because it never crossed my mind that this, especially in the United States, like you said, because we kind of go after every other country out there about human rights. So... You know, no one would guess that that's what's going on right under our noses. So thank you so much for not only the information, but the awareness and for being the advocate that you are. I thought about a few things that you said. Every so often on my shows, I read one of my compositions before I end, and that's how I end the show. And I thought about something that really struck me too, is that in in many of the cases this, these children you talked about, the child with the uncle or the parent or, or the boyfriend or the partner, it's someone that they trusted. And so I'm going to end this episode tonight again thanking you. And before I go off, I'm going to read one of my compositions that's entitled Betrayal. So this mm. is what it feels like. It's sent so unacceptable. When I was younger, I shared my being and existence with another, which with rapid innocence became intertwined as a friendship born as the fruit of innocence. The need for bonding, acceptance, and sharing brought forth the concept and realization of loyalty, trust, passion, emotion, empathy, love, and a sacred bond. All these characteristics carried by dynamic virtue and continuously evolving into a relationship then defined as indestructible. But then the temerity of reality to test this boldly defined glue sheds the light of a cloud created by a single moment. A lapse of concentration maybe, but more powerful than a lifetime of creation. The bond is tested. And suddenly I feel the effects of being wounded. It's unexpected, unanticipated, and beyond reality. But it is real, and its pain is more devastating than a single acceptable mortal wound. For with it evolves despair, disbelief, confusion, and a sense of loss with no boundaries to stop its evolution. I once believed in the fortune and indestructibility of this bond, and rejoiced in its ability to provide a lifelong friend and friendship, one that would always own the scent of greatness, and if time was not a factor, would be defined as infinite. But now, as I reach for that bond, I am left arms and heart empty, engulfed by a deep, sickening feeling, too extreme for explanation. What is this I feel? It is a painful and yet undefined regurgitating sense of betrayal. Mm. Wow. Wow. 
it's my turn now to say that. I want to say a very special thank you to Rima Nashashibi, the founder and president of Global 365, for being on this episode and for giving us priceless information and keeping our young and our young ladies and children safe. I want to also thank my listening audience and all of my supporters and remind you that you can listen to any and all episodes via your most favorite podcast app. You can also head over to the website at www.247realtalk.net. There you can also listen to the episodes and you can see detailed information on the guests and the podcast. If you'd like to leave me a message or you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can email me at podcast.247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.